You're listening to the Meeting Midway Podcast, a podcast of Midway United Methodist Church in Alpharetta, Georgia, featuring Pastor Jenny Andoni and Pastor Brad Biggerstaff. Over the course of the podcast, we'll hear how the church relates to the real-world issues that matter to you and how God loves us all. And now, let's meet Midway. Did y'all enjoy that extra hour of sleep? Yeah? Yeah? Well, I was a little nervous that I was going to enjoy it so much that I would oversleep. So I told hers and I said, don't let me oversleep. Wake me up at 4.30. So he dutifully came and woke me up and I jumped out of bed, turned on the light, went and picked up my phone and said, 3.30. He woke me up at 3.30, and I said, I said 4.30, not 3.30. He said, no, you said 3.30. I said, look at the text, the text, the text. Now, needless to say, I'm looking forward to a nap this afternoon. Our scripture lesson today comes to us from the letter to the Ephesians, the first chapter, beginning with the 15th verse. Paul writes, I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. And for this reason, I do not cease to give thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of all glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation as you come to know him so that with the eyes of your heart enlightened, you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance among the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power for us who believe according to the working of his great power. God put this power to work in Christ when he raised him from the dead, and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And he has put all things under his feet, and has made him the head over all things for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. There's a popular TV show that airs on the Fox Business uh, Network. It's called Strange Inheritance. Any of you fans of that show? No one will ever fess up. I know I'm not the only one watching these shows, right? Well, for those of you who don't know, the show follows the host as she crisscrosses the nation and the globe reporting on the wild, wacky, and sometimes priceless treasures people have inherited from their loved ones. Among the strange inheritances that have been featured are a collection of 250,000 Indian arrowheads, 
a hoard of 300 million pounds of industrial scrap, a 900-acre bug museum, a roadside attraction gator ranch. Go dogs. <laughs> and a 134-foot Death Valley thermometer in bad need of repair. The shows follow the families as they grapple with what to do with their strange inheritance. Some of these odd bequests turn out to be surprisingly valuable, while others end up being a burden and a money pit to the heirs. When I think of strange inheritances, I can't help but think of my Uncle John. When he passed away four years ago, he left behind in his apartment over a dozen or so conga and bongo drums of various sizes. Now, this was strange to us because to our knowledge, Uncle John was not the percussionist in any band. He just liked the drums. So my parents had to dole out the money, rent a second car, just to tote all those drums from Wisconsin all the way back here to Georgia. Strange inheritances tend to stem from the strange things people collect throughout their lifetime. Why is this show so popular? I think it's because people enjoy imagining themselves in, you know, in a situation where they are bequeathed some unexpected treasure that turns out to be life-changing. You know, kind of like winning the lottery. Today is All Saints Sunday, as we have said. It is a high moment in the church year as we give thanks for the life-changing inheritance we have received from that great cloud of witnesses that has gone before us. Today, as we call out the names of our brothers and sisters who have died during the past year, the words of Paul's prayer to the Ephesians is especially poignant. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance among the saints? Who are the saints? To whom exactly is St. Paul referring? Well, looking back to the beginning of the letter to the salutation, we read, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. It's not surprising that Paul would address the Ephesians as saints. After all, word of their faithful witness has reached Paul across the miles. Theirs is a loving, thriving, united Christian community. Tell them I'm busy right now. <laughs> he, this is what he says. I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. And for this reason, I do not cease to give thanks for you as I remember you always in my prayers. In other words, Paul has heard that the Ephesians are Christians who are actually 
acting saintly. Their faith in Christ and the love that they show towards one another is the very reason that Paul writes to them offering this prayer of thanksgiving. The reality is Paul does not use the term saint sparingly in his correspondence. Because if we were to scan the beginning of Paul's various letters to all the churches, we would see that he addresses all of them to the saints. So the term saint isn't one that Paul reserves for the particularly pious. If that were the case, he certainly wouldn't have addressed the Corinthians as saints. You know, them being a community, every bit as fractious and contentious then as the United Methodist Church is today. The Greek word translated saint literally means holy one. Saints then are believers who through faith in Christ have been made holy. That is, set apart for God's purposes. Accordingly, as Protestants, we, like Paul, consider anyone who professes Christ as their Lord and Savior and puts their whole trust in Him to be a saint. The term is not reserved for the particularly pious or the specially morally upright. There are no special qualifications. You don't have to be dead or to have miracles attributed to you as they do in the Roman Catholic tradition in order for someone to be canonized. No saints are those believers in all times and in all places who are, have responded to the call of Christ. So, we are, all of us, you and me, saints. Saints, though, not because of anything that we have done, but because of what God has done for us through Jesus Christ and the power of the risen Christ. In other words, saints are not perfect people. They are, though, forgiven sinners. Many people think of saints as plaster saints, says Frederick Buechner, men and women of such paralyzing virtue that they never thought a nasty thought or did an evil deed in their whole life. As far as I know, real saints never even come close to characterizing themselves in that way. On the contrary, no less a saint than St. Paul wrote to Timothy, I am foremost among sinners. In other words, says Buechner, the feet of saints are as much of clay as everybody else's, and their sainthood consists less of what they have done than of what God has, for some reason, chosen to do through them. There's a little boy who attended a church with you know, beautiful stained glass windows, you know, like we're blessed with. His 
especially over in the chapel. And he was told that in the windows were pictures of saints. You know, there's St. Matthew and St. Mark, St. Luke, St. John, and other saints. So one day when someone asked him what a saint was, he replied, a saint is a person whom the light shines through. A saint is a person whom the light shines through. Think for a moment, if you will, about the saints in your own life. Those faithful Christians whose lives testify to the love and grace of the risen Christ. Who comes to mind? Who are among those saints? Sunday school teacher or professor? Children's director or youth leader? A scoutmaster or coach? Your parents or your grandparents? A spouse? A neighbor or some other friend in faith? Whoever they were or are, they are the ones whose love light shone in such a way that you know, they engendered in us a desire to know Christ for ourselves. Through them, the eyes of our, our own hearts were enlightened so that we experienced the power of God's transforming love and grace for ourselves. Oh, they may not have been saints, you know, in that traditional understanding of the word. They were, after all, flawed and imperfect people, all of them sinners like, like you and me, but they kept at it. They kept at it, striving to live up to the hope of their calling in Christ Jesus. As Mother Teresa of Calcutta, or St. Teresa, as she is now known, put it, saints are only sinners who keep on trying. So just what is that great inheritance? After all, what Paul prays for his readers as well as for us. It is none other than the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That, my brothers and sisters, is what has been handed down to us. Much like property is passed on from you know, generation to generation. That hope which as believers we have already been saved and resurrected with the living Christ. This is indeed a strange, mysterious, wonderful inheritance. This inheritance that is bequeathed to us as a gift from God, a gift that brings us unity through Christ, 
who is bringing all things together in heaven and on earth and all things together in the church for whom he is the head of the body. It is the very gift of God that Jesus prayed for on the night of his betrayal. Father, the glory that you have given me, I have given them, so that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become completely one. That unity, the power of that unity overcomes divisions in the present as it did in Paul's day, overcoming the division between Jews and Gentiles. As Paul wrote in Galatians 3.28, in Christ there is neither Jew nor Greek, neither male nor female, neither slave nor free, for we are all one in Christ Jesus our Lord. Not only is it a unity in the body of Christ in the present. It is also a unity across time and space. Those who have died and those who are living are one in Christ, as those who are living are already marked for resurrection. In his book, The Rhythm of God, Geddes McGregor tells about a priest who was asked one day how many people were at the morning Eucharist service today. And the priest replied, three old ladies, the janitor, and thousands of archangels, and a large number of seraphim and millions of the triumphant saints of God. You are never alone in the church, writes the authors of the book, Lord, Teach Us. Every time we gather to pray, they say, the saints pray with, with all of us, as if leaning down from the ramparts of heaven to join their voices with ours in the praise of God, as if to cheer us on in our current struggles to be faithful. The church is therefore not just the grinning folk who greet you at the door on Sunday morning, but also the saints from every age and place who lead you in prayer, who reassure you that the journey with Jesus is worth walking a journey that leads home. So saints, sinners, today as we gather around this table we come, you know, with our crooked halos, but we come in hope, knowing that Christ who has been raised from the dead and sits enthroned in heaven on the right side of the Father, numbers us among that great company of saints that sings praises to his glory now 
and forever. O blessed communion, fellowship divine, we feebly struggle, they in glory shine. Yet all are one in thee, for all are thine. Alleluia. Alleluia. Amen. As we call the names of the saints who have departed over this past year, if a name of your loved one or a dear friend is called, you are invited to stand as their name is read. Timeless God, we thank you for all those before us who have kept the faith to the end. We thank you for brave souls of deathless fame and also for those whose names are remembered only by you. Give us wisdom to understand your will and courage to live as your people in this day through the grace of Jesus Christ. As we prepare to come to this year table, we recognize that we are not alone. We sense that great cloud of witnesses whose faithful footprints still guide and influence us in unspoken but powerful ways. As we come, we do so with thanksgiving for the assurance that their physical absence from us means they are fully present with you in the heavenly realms. We honor them now as we call their names and remember. Ali, Lord. Gary Morris. Dan Davenport. Orville Schweitzer. Marion Termini. You've been listening to the Meeting Midway podcast from Midway United Methodist Church. The doors to our community are open to all, and we invite guests to join us at our services on Sunday. We have a traditional worship service at 8.30 a.m. in our historic chapel, an acoustic worship service at 9.45 a.m. in our historic chapel, and a contemporary service at 11 a.m. in our modern sanctuary. For more information, check us out online at midwayumc.org. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you soon.